The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. 8474. Today we're happy to welcome to bring our morning devotions Dr. Peter Jones. Uh, Dr. Jones is, uh, continues to be an adjunct professor for us here. Uh, he and his wife Rebecca were the first missionaries appointed by the Presbyterian Church in America when the denomination was formed in 1973. Mission to the world, uh, they served for a number of years in southern France where Peter was on the faculty of the Free free faculty of Reformed Theology in Aix-en-Provence, and then they came to California in 91. Dr. Jones was our professor of New Testament for a number of years, uh, and then in 2003 launched his present ministry, Truth Exchange, uh, which confronts uh, neo-paganism and all sorts of oneist false teaching. Actually, I think in some ways, in my mind, it began with a lecture that he gave here that became his book, The Gnostic Empire Strikes Back, and since then it's been followed by many, many other books. He's an associate pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church here in Escondido, and as I mentioned, he teaches for us um, periodically. In fact, he'll be offering a week-long course connected with the Ministry of Witness course in 2017. So if you're still around here by then, you might want to think about that, adding that week-long course to your schedule. So Peter, come, bring the word to us. Please turn to the first epistle of of Peter, and I'll be reading from verse 17 to verse 25. Please give attention to the inspired word of God. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The flower withers, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. As I attended chapel on many occasions during my professional connection with this uh, institution, 
I often tried to speculate why the visiting speaker had chosen the particular passage he chose, and generally I was convinced that it was probably the last sermon that he had preached and didn't want to go to trouble doing a special work of preparation for the chapel service here. Alas, this is true of myself. I, w I was actually asked to, to uh, participate in a study of First Peter, and imposed on me was a couple of texts, and uh, I started working on them. And at that moment, Dr. Kim asked me would I preach here at the seminary, and I thought, well, if I'm doing work on a Bible text here, I might as well do it also for the chapel. Well, it turned out that this uh, ministry group uh, canceled that program. So you get the first version uh, of <laughs> And uh, you know, as I looked at this text, I, I tried to figure out uh, what it was saying to me, and you might have thought the same thing. But uh, as a long-term recovering fundamentalist, I was struck by the use of the phrase, born again. <laughs> Since you have been born again is the key to the way uh, Peter will exhort Christians for living in this world. It seems to be the turning point, the key to everything else, being born again. Now you rarely hear that term in Reformed circles. We probably consider it too simplistic, uh, especially since non-evangelicals are using it all the time. Jimmy Carter described himself as born again in the first Playboy magazine interview he ever did. Little Richard, Donna Summers, Bob Dylan, Kanye West, they all claim to be born again. So clearly we've become a little skittish about using this phrase. And yet, as I began to examine this text, it seemed to me that there were implications of this description of the Christian life that are absolutely amazing. First of all, well, we always have three points, but first of all, as a past event, you have been born again. Then as a present reality of witness of holy living, selfless love, and courageous suffering, and then finally, in the future, where that uh, future life is really a final finishing off of the born-again act of God. So I want to look at these three moments in the born-again experience. As a past objective once-for-all act of God, it is founded, obviously, on the incredible work of Christ. Peter says in verses 18 through 21, you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world made manifest in the last times. Through him uh, you are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. And the focus there, of course, is on the uniqueness of Christ who shares with God the Father the fact of being before the foundation of the world, thus divine, but also manifested in the last times. His work then is momentous because he shares that divine nature 
and because this is a unique event in history. So this born-again experience is based upon that very reality, which is momentous in time and in nature, but also in effect. As an experience, the Puritan divine John Owen, 1616 to 1683, speaks about an experience of the power of the gospel in and upon your heart. Peter himself, in meeting Christ, says, rejoicing with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory in the salvation of your souls. This is an experience of the power of the gospel. The Apostle Paul talks about our hearts being enlightened. He speaks about a transformed, renewed mind, transformed metamorpho, which is used in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and the only other time, actually, on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus is transformed. So this is a radical transformation, and the mind is transformed and renewed. Anakinosis. When you hear anakinosis, that should remind you of anagenao, which is, of course, born again. So this is an act of God based on the divine nature of the Son. This is what the Apostle Peter calls being born again. He doubtless heard this from Jesus, who says in John 3, 13, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, genethe anothen, anothen can mean again or from above. It's a happy ambiguity that we will not resolve because I like them both. He cannot see the kingdom of God. This is a transaction effectuated not by the will of the flesh, nor by the will of man, but of God, ek theu. So one is born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, ek theu, of God. So this act of God is eternal. Permanent, imperishable. The world looks to this reality, seeking to change, as the Apostle Paul says, the incorruptible God for the likeness of images, of corrupt men and birds and four-footed beasts. Putting your faith in something corruptible can only end in bitter disappointment. But the Christian experience is faith in an incorruptible, imperishable creator untouched by mortality. In reform circles, we do talk about being born again, but in a much more sophisticated way. We use the term regeneration. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says about regeneration, it is the work of God's spirit whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills, he doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. That is the born again experience. A radical change of mind, heart, thinking by the immortal God. And since God is immortal, what he's doing in us then is immortal. It won't end. 
It just now has that beginning in God himself. And it is achieved by the immortal word of God. As the Apostle Paul says, that we are changed through the living and abiding imperishable word of God. It will endure until the day dawns and the morning star rises. So there's power in the experience because there's been power in the word itself. I always end my sermons with the phrase that ended this text. All flesh is grass, the grass withers and the flower fades. Because God's word is unlike human flesh and grass, it's the word of God that remains forever. It's interesting, isn't it? The Bible begins with the statement, in the beginning, God. And in the Gospel of John, it begins, in the beginning was the word. So that we as Christians know that at the beginning, it's not inert matter, but intelligence that is the beginning of our reality. By the word of God, the heavens were made in the breath of his mouth, all their hosts, for he spoke and it came to be, he commanded, and it stood firm. Including in that word, of course, is the good news that was preached to you, the gospel preached by the apostles based on the teaching of Jesus. Thus, it is the gospel which is the power of God unto salvation. As the Apostle Paul says, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. I trust we'll never lose sight of the missionary impetus associated with gospel preaching that seeks not social justice, but a radical regeneration of sinners. In our day, we live in a time that wants to replace gospel preaching with social justice. But alas, there are sad results. Bart Campolo, Tony Campolo's son, says this. For about 30 years, I became more and more committed to social justice and loving relationships and trying to heal broken people's lives. I became less and less convinced that there was any supernatural reality. And now Bart Campolo is humanist chaplain at USC. There's no future in that message. So we base our experience on God's immortal, powerful word. And we can always go back to that. But then it casts us forward. We must live in the reality into which we have been born. And we are born again, as this text indicates, for present witness through holy living, selfless love, and courageous suffering. This amazing treasure of the gospel that regenerates us calls for individual response. In response to the born-again act of God, we are, says the apostle, to purify our souls in obedience to the truth. If there's any social justice, this is where it is to be found. 
But even our obedience is not our own. It's based on someone else's obedience. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous as Paul. And so we begin every day at the foot of the cross as we engage in our lives now. For the new birth is for something. It's for the expression of a new life, of a new humanity. My dear wife's father said this, Redemption being born again breaks not only the chain that binds us to future doom, it breaks the chain of a dead past. That was Ed Clowney, by the way. Um, so in the area of present living, changed by this born-again experience, there are a couple of areas that, Paul, uh, that Peter underlines. One is moral purity. The result of being born again by God are radical. They demand radical response. The term purif having purified your souls, agnizo, is uh, used about the Levites who purified themselves from sin and washed their garments. One is reminded of Paul's exhortation to live according to the priestly demands that God makes on us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. This is not moralism, the moralism of a sort of holy huddle, but it is the expression of God's will for human living. Agnos is a cognate of hagios, and of course that means holy, the other means pure. And of course we read in 1 Peter 1.16, be holy as I am holy. And so the born-again experience thrusts us into the world to be a witness to the holiness of God. You remember Ashley Madison, that classy website that caught 39, adulter 39 million adulterers in the web of adultery with the catchy commercial song, I'm looking for someone other than my wife. And it proposed the vision, life is short, have an affair. Well, this is the world in which we are now living, alas. There were even pastors caught in this web of seduction. How many of men in our day and age are trapped in pornography? I read figures like 70%. Uh, but you know, the spirituality in our time is not phased by this. Integrative spirituality, which is the new uh, term for new age spirituality, it's now integrative or integral, assures us the future looks good. And I quote, future generations will see even less dogma from church figures over sexual issues like premarital, extramarital sex in 2025, they will associate less guilt about sex in a period of relaxing morality. That's supposed to be good news. 
Well, of course, the kind of degradation which we are seeing in our time was certainly known in the Greco-Roman Babylon to which, Paul was, to which Peter was writing. And uh, he warns his Christian believers, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Many of you are or belong to the millennial generation. You've grown up in a pornographic culture. Some of you may be still in its clutches. Stop it. Run a mile, just like Joseph. We must disassociate totally from this evil culture. And so we're called to purity, to moral purity. But then we're also called to love others. This maybe is even more difficult. Taking care of yourself is one thing, but living with other people is not easy. You might be tempted like Simon Stylites, who achieved fame by spending 37 years on top of a pillar. He didn't have to worry about other human beings. Jean-Paul Sartre said, hell is other people. Well, the effect of being born again, actually, is that it reverses Sartre's hatred of unending people. For the exhortation now is to love one another with the love of Christ. As the Apostle Paul says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. And Francis Schaeffer said 35 years ago, while it is true that there is an, indi an individual salvation, individual salvation should show itself in corporate relationships. The world has a right to look upon us and make a judgment, which it did in the ancient world. You remember what the African theologian Tertullian said he heard from pagans, see how they love one another. I've got to run on. I see I've gone past my time. The other, is, uh, the other implication is to be able to suffer uh, in our bodies in this world. And it's the power of that new birth experience of the immortal God and putting his seed within us that allows us even to face physical suffering. And uh, I just have to cite this text that I read from Richard Wormbrandt, a Roman pastor under Ceausescu in the 50s of the last century. I've seen Christians in communist prisons with 50 pounds of chains on their feet, tortured with red-hot iron pokers, starving, whipped, suffering from cold, and praying with fervor for their communist jailers. This is humanly inexplicable. It's only explicable if the work of Christ has been done in our hearts and that we are born again. Finally, the future hope. The final stage of the born-again experience is the rebirth of the creation. I would argue that the resurrection of Jesus is actually 
his rebirth. He is changed to a new humanity. The resurrection was the regeneration of his physical body. And so the apostle Paul, Peter, I keep saying Paul, I, I taught Paul in this institution. Peter is a new guy. <laughs> Peter exhorts believers, set your hope on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He speaks about the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, that's the final moment of the born-again experience. It's not always easy to affirm that reality that's coming. We enjoy our lives here. We're going to a funeral today of the Ebis. We learned last night that uh, Lugero Moraes, a key leader of the Brazilian Presbyterian Church, just lost his wife and was surrounded by death. But we know this, that there is a final state that is the ultimate expression of the born-again reality, where we are made anew by God himself, who is the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, God only wise. So Peter exhorts us to know the born-again experience, to live according to its demands, and to keep our eyes fixed on that final experience when we'll be finally born again. I like to call it the victorious, miraculous overturning of genetic biological entropy. That's death. So here the exhortation of our Savior, pleading with Nicodemus, and apply it to yourself for the whole of your life. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. Oh, I do have this word. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Copyright 2015, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.